Father, I thank you. I thank you that we have life because of your Son. And I thank you that as your, your body is the body of Christ, we can gather together and celebrate and encourage and help one another to be like your Son. I thank you, Father God, that we have young people in this church that love Jesus. I thank you for what happens on Wednesday nights. I thank you for the number of young people that hear the gospel. And I thank you this morning, Father God, for those children that will hear the gospel in Children's Church. And I ask that you would fill them to overflowing. I thank you, Father God, for the adults and the helpers that will be downstairs this morning. Let them be bold in their proclamation of the truth. And I thank you, Father God, that there will be changed lives in the next generation. Thank you that we have as a church opportunity to influence the next generation's And I ask, Father God, this morning as I speak, that the words would be yours and not mine, and that hearts would be transformed into the image of your Son. Mature us. Thank you, Father God, that you are powerful and mighty. And thank you that we can be filled, Father God, with joy and expectation of what you have in store for us in the future. Christ's name. Amen. This is an exciting time to live in. We can all be thankful that we do live in this country, that we have freedom to do what we're doing this morning and come together. We also live in an exciting time because every moment that we are alive, we, become, we, we come closer to that time when Christ will return. As I've gone through some more of this fabulous chapter in Hebrews, I get excited. I get more and more excited because there are so many facets that God gives to us about what He's done that we have by faith. Faith. It's actually really exciting to be a believer. And if you're not excited about being a believer... We need to talk. God is good. God is doing so many wonderful things. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is is really the definitive New Testament chapter about faith. And in some ways, it explains faith in the best way of Old and New Testament. And before we go on to today's passage in chapter 11, I want us to back up just a little bit because this is is fundamental to us to understand. So I'm going to go back to chapter 11, verse 6. He says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Thank you, brother. Impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. This is very fundamental and it's very good for us to to grasp this deeply. 
When God finished creating the world, He said, it is very good. He was pleased. That's a way of God saying, I am pleased with what I have created. And because God is pleased with what was very good, His creation is also designed to function as pleasing Him. We are created to please God. Sin changed that. Verse 6 explicitly tells us, faith is what pleases our Creator. And I think you would have to be extremely calloused and probably a a total pagan to not agree that as a believer, we want to please God. It just excites me to think of standing before God and, and first of all, having Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But even more than that, being able to bow at His feet and glorify Him and see Him pleased because we believe in Him. He wants us to please Him. And humanly speaking, we cannot please Him without faith. The second part of verse 6 gives two reasons faith pleases God, and they are foundational to our understanding of faith. The first reason is a person with faith believes God exists. That's the second phrase. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. The second reason is God rewards those who seek Him. Both of those are foundational to faith. God never explains to us anywhere in Scripture why these aspects of faith please Him. He just simply states the fact. These are the things that please Him. These two aspects are based on two facts about God's nature. And this is, this is very compelling to how we view faith. And how we grow in it. The first fact is God has always existed. So when he says, he who comes to God must believe that he is. We're acknowledging that God has always existed. He never came into being. He never had a beginning. God doesn't and has never or will never mature. I have some children like that, but that's a different reason. Nah, my kids are fine. God has always existed. There's a very clear statement of this in Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. This became known in a certain way in the Jewish um, religion in particular as His name. It's recognized as His name. That's where we get the term Yahweh. God has absolute eternal existence. God is pleased when our lives display His eternal nature. This is fundamental to faith. The second fact in verse 6 is God is completely self-sufficient. Rewarding us is based on that sufficiency. He needs absolutely nothing. He did not need to create us. He didn't need to create the universe. He doesn't need anything. He never has needed anything, and He never will need anything. He is so self-sufficient. He is so completely self-sufficient that His sufficiency actually overflows. And it overflows with with joy and life and energy and goodness and, and beauty and power. That's who He is. 
So when a person comes to faith, agreeing with who God is, he's saying, I agree with who God's presented himself to be. I agree with his nature and I delight in him. I delight in God's nature and that nature overflows. And as it overflows, when we get close to God, we are blessed. We are rewarded. The closer you get to God, the more time you spend with him, that, that's all driven by faith, the greater your reward. You spend an entire day with God and you tell me you're not blessed or you're not rewarded or it doesn't feel different. You need to think that through. He's so amazing. These two components are, are, are the reality of faith. Faith that acknowledges the absolute reality of God's nature and all of his attributes. The true believer displays by the choices they make the glorious attributes of God. And God is pleased. And not only is God pleased, but all of heaven rejoices. I've never seen angels dance, but I think they party. Wow, they're glorifying God because they're right there with him. They know who he is. And here's these humans going, yeah, God is great. And the angels go crazy. It's all about God. This means that faith, faith rests on God's nature, not ours. I, I really like the way John Piper phrases this. I, I really like this. He says it this way. Faith depends on what God is like, not on what we are like. My faith does not rest upon what I have achieved, what I know, my personality, or lack thereof. It rests on Him, totally. This concept is obvious then as we go through this chapter about faith. Because the people that are, are, are shown here, the, the stories that they represent in this great list of faith, demonstrate that. The author of Hebrews spends a great deal of time in this chapter and he gives detail, um, the most detail, to two examples of faith, Abraham and Moses. Both men were pleasing to God. They were men of faith. And their faith can seen, if you go through those stories, they made choices based on their relationship with God, who they understood God to be. So their faith was based on God, and you can see their faith based on their choices. Abraham and Moses were extremely important to the Jewish believers. And that, if you remember, that's who this letter was written to. That's why it's called Hebrews. So their example of faith, Moses and Abraham, was very persuasive to a Jew. For the Hebrew people to hear this message, it meant a great deal because he spent so much time with Abraham and Moses. Last week we looked at Abraham, and this week we're looking at Moses. So let's go to today's passage, and we're going we're to go through it bit by bit. We begin in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. The author writes, By faith Moses, 
when he was born. There's a little bit of a crazy thing that happens there. So he was born. Did Moses have faith when he was born? Who had the faith? His mom and dad. Okay, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The Israelites had been in Egypt since Joseph and their numbers had grown to the extent that the Egyptians were terrified that the Hebrew slaves would become so numerous that they would overrun Egypt and uh, no more Egypt. So to stop the population growth, Pharaoh commanded all male Jewish babies to be drowned in the Nile. That was his edict. So in this dangerous time, the mother of Moses acted by faith and placed her child in a watertight basket and set him afloat in the Nile. That's a lot of faith. Amen? I mean, that is... That's like crazy. You've got this beautiful child. Now stop and think for a moment. They've got this beautiful child. They have a choice. You can get it killed by the king somehow, or you can put him in the river. There's a lot of faith in what they did. He's in this watertight basket, and Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses. She took pity on the infant and raised him as her own. Amazing. She would have, because of the cloth probably used and some of the appearance, she would have recognized that this was a Hebrew boy. So it has always struck me as an amazing sovereign act of God that Pharaoh's daughter did not kill the male child, even though she knew firsthand of her father her father Pharaoh's command. Another act of faith, another demonstration of God being involved in this situation. And it also reflects on that faith of Moses' parents. And if you remember the story, Pharaoh's daughter asked for a nurse for the boy, and who'd they choose? Moses' mother. Just a coincidence there. I, by the way, no longer believe in coincidences. This is awesome because what that did was it gave Moses' mom, it gave her opportunity to teach Moses about Judaism. Have you ever stopped to think that when he grew up and was an adult, how did he know his Hebrew roots? How did he know he was associated with the Hebrew people? How did he know? Because mom taught him. It says, they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, all of my kids were beautiful. Still are. And the two grandchildren? Whoa! She was playing with a stethoscope yesterday in a picture. It's like, i got to be there. They're beautiful. There's something more to this. Because we're even seeing this in, in the sermon that Stephen gives, the defense that he gives before the Sanhedrin. We find it in Acts chapter 7, verse 20. He says, 
It was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's father's home. So God had a certain kind of fondness for Moses, and in some way, by faith, his parents understood God's fondness for their child. So there's even more going on here. Let's go on in Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This is cool. The training from his mother was why Moses identified with the Jews. He's now 40. So at this time, Moses is a prince of Egypt. He had the best education available in that time. He lived in wealth, incredible wealth. He lived in the most culturally advanced society in that time in Earth's history. But he also understood that he was a Hebrew and his training and life as as an Egyptian never dulled his Judaism, never lessened his hope for his people. In all his training, he knew the promises of God had that God had made to Israel and he continued to believe them. He knew that if God made those promises, God would have to fulfill those promises. So when Moses was 40, he had to make a decision. He had to make a decision between continuing to function as Egyptian royalty or he had to choose to join the Hebrew people. By faith, he chose to be a part of Israel. An incredible act of faith. The Holy Spirit teaches us in Scripture that Moses knew God would use him to uh, use him in a special way with God's people. And we know that, again, going back to Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verse 25, he says, And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. So Moses assumed when he killed the Egyptian and when he started raising up as, as a leader of the Hebrew people, he just assumed they'd understand. They didn't. But Moses knew somewhere that God was using him. Put this into the context of where Moses was at. Moses had everything. Wealth, power, honor, prestige, any pleasure. But by faith, he gave up all the world had to offer to pursue the future. And it says future reward. That's what really mattered. By faith, Moses chose the things of God above above the pagan world in which he lived. By faith, Moses knew God was calling him to a life devoted to God's plan and to God's people. Somewhere, God had done that work in him, and Moses chose by faith. We can easily all agree that sin is fun for a moment. It feels good. Sin satisfies. It satisfies our pride, our physical desires, and offers what seems like endless pleasure. And I do know when I was 
before I was saved and I was drinking, that pleasure was great until the next morning. Whoa. No pleasure there. But all of sin, no matter what it is, the pleasure connected with it, those pleasures are only temporary. Sin cannot truly ever satisfy. So then we go on, and in in verse 26, it says, considering the reproach of Christ. Considering, the the word means involving careful, deliberate thought. It implies calculated decision-making. So Moses evaluated what Egypt offered and what God offered, and by choice, his faith is seen. He chose God. The reproach in verse 26 is interesting because this is ridicule and persecution that comes from the world system and and from worldly people who have no value for God, who have made self their idol and oppose God. We won't see any of this on this Super Bowl Sunday. There won't be any idols of self displayed today, right? You know? Goodness gracious, I've already read some of the statements from athletes. It's like, you guys are nuts. This is also an interesting and powerful statement in verse 26 because as the Holy Spirit is writing this, he mentions Moses considering the reproach of Christ. Now, wait a minute. This is, how do we put this together? Because Moses lived 1,500 years before Christ. How does that work out? And, and what, what is being communicated and revealed to us is that Moses was looking forward to the promised anointed one, to the Messiah of God's promise. Moses was all about what God had promised he would do. Moses identified with God's people, his plan, and with God's purpose. The New Testament speaks to that and tells us that's what, that's what Moses was doing by faith. Moses makes his decision, and we read in verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He endured because he knew who God was. Now, in reality, in the story of Moses, he, Moses left Egypt twice. The first time he left was because he killed an Egyptian slave master who was mistreating Jewish or Hebrew slaves. So he sees this slave master, and he gets angry, and he kills the guy. Well, you don't do that and survive, right? So, so he, he left Egypt the first time to escape death. And he went into the desert, and he learned about keeping sheep, and, and he found a wife, and, and he learned more and more about the reality of, of God, of, of the Creator. More training. More testing. He comes back. And then we come to the amazing second time that Moses left. Again, he's running from the king. He's running from Pharaoh. 
This time, though, Moses is the powerful leader that God has prepared. The man God would use to continue his plan for Israel and continue the plan that God had for producing the Messiah that would come. The second time that Moses left Egypt, he was even more committed to God and his faith rested even more on the attributes of who God truly is. And both times that he left Egypt, Moses, he didn't have any idea what was going to happen. He just got out of Egypt. Both times he left by faith. Moses chose to focus on God instead of the things of the world. Incredible message for us. He didn't focus on the things of the world and he did not focus on the circumstances that were occurring in his life. We tend to do both, don't we? We continue to see this beautiful story, this example of faith in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. That is an incredible incredible story of faith and it's an incredible Old Testament picture that's pointing forward to what Christ did for us. We celebrated communion today. We're celebrating the symbolism of what Christ did. What Christ did was to become the Passover lamb for us. Moses, by faith, kept that. He initiated it and he kept it. The importance of the tenth and last plague that God sent to Egyptians continues today. We demonstrated that this morning. The Passover, the protection of the Israelites from death because of the blood placed on their doors was symbolic of the blood of Christ's sacrifice and Christ's conquering of death. And he's done both of those for anyone who will believe. Moses and the people of Israel may not have actually fully understood the eternal significance of what Passover symbolized, but they knew what God said. God said, put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. God said, here's what I want you to do. And by faith they obeyed. Moses got that information by faith. Moses gave it to the people by faith. By faith the people used the Reads and they put the blood on the proper places in their homes by faith. Back then and even today, the way of the world, the way of the flesh, thinks that the best way to please God and to be accepted by God is to do good works, especially religious works. The more religious you are, the closer you get to God. Every other religion ever conceived by man, that's where it goes. Christianity is very different. Because the world's way is not God's way. Christianity is not centered on your religiousness. It is not based on you. It's based on Him. Faith is centered on God and what He promises, and what He can do, and who He is, and all about His nature. 
Verse 29. After the Passover, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Wouldn't you love to have a GoPro that day? You know, first shot, you're standing there and you look backwards and you see the clouds of the chariots and the army and they're coming as fast as they can and there's nowhere you can escape. So you turn around the other way and there's the sea. No escape. You're stuck. And your leader stands up and he says, have faith. I, I got to confess, you know, I'm wearing the GoPro and I, it's, it's looking at Moses and he's saying that. And inside my heart, I'm going, you're nuts, buddy. <laughs> There's no escape. But Moses, Moses trusted God. And so did the people following him. But really that faith began with Moses He had faith in what God had promised. He knew what God had said. He took that and it meant something real and tangible. We read this in Exodus chapter 14. Because this man of faith communicates something to the people so that they have faith. Exodus 14, 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again, forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. There's a part of me that was putting this together, and I thought, you know, I'm going to read that. And First Baptist Church will rise to its feet and we will celebrate with all the angels and we'll wave our hands and we'll scream and holler. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. All I have to do is trust my Lord and Savior. All I have to do is base my faith on the purity of God's nature. The strength of our Creator is who my faith is in. Miraculously, by faith, on that day, the sea opened. The water stood up, it says, like a pile. And they passed through on dry ground. Their trust was in God. Think of the GoPro image. You're going through there, and you're kind of walking along, and here's, you know, there's a sea bass floating along in the wall there. You can see the water stacked up. And you're on dry ground. My God is a big God. Is yours? There wasn't any guarantee that the piles of water were going to stay in place. Who'd have thought? 
And who would have thought that that water would have stayed in place long enough for a million plus to walk across? Only God can do that. Only the Creator can make those kinds of things happen. God promised deliverance. That's what He communicated to Moses. And that was enough. It didn't matter that the army was coming from one side and the sea was on the other. God promised deliverance. And the seabed became dry and the water piled up. God is good. Unless you're an Egyptian because they came across. Oh yeah, we got this done, man. And they get into the middle and the laws of gravity and physics took over again. And we don't have the GoPro from them because they're still at the bottom of the sea. God's promise was real. He delivered Moses. He delivered an entire nation with an incredible miracle. God has not changed. He has not changed. Faith takes God at His word. Faith trusts God's perfect nature. What is His nature? That He loves you. That He has a future for you. He has a plan for you. That He values you. Faith is not based on me. I want to please God. I just want to please Him. And the way to do that is to have faith that rests solely upon what He is like and what He can do. Faith is not based on what I can do. It's not based on what I'm like. It's not based on my personality. Thank goodness for that. Christian faith is not found in what we feel nor is it affected by the circumstances that we encounter. Every circumstance that we encounter, that, that's not what controls our faith. To have faith that pleases God, to grow in that faith, and to be strong in faith, requires that you know God, and that you know what He has promised and that you know without a shadow of a doubt in any way, shape, or form that He is true to what He promised. The more we know God, the more we are assured of what He's like. It just just gets better and better and better. The more we're aware of who He is and what He's done, the more convinced we are of what we don't see. I don't see heaven. I don't see how Jesus is going to come back. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, well, how do you think everybody on the planet is going to know that Jesus is coming back the second time? And I looked at this fellow and I said, you know what? I don't care. All I know is that God said it's going to happen. Good enough? Good enough for me because my God is powerful enough to overcome all the laws of physics and stack water up on either side, dry the ground out that quick so a million people can cross the ocean. Where's your God? Where's your faith? What do you believe in? What do you get excited about? 
What are you willing to die for? Let's be a people of faith and see the amazing things that God still does today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are who you say you are. I thank you that you are perfection and you are enormous and glorious. I thank you for your promises. Help us when we struggle even with our faith. Remind us, Holy Spirit, that you never leave us. And our God will never forsake us. Father, help us to be like Moses and and Paul and Peter and and all the others that are looking forward to something greater than than just this life. But help us, Father God, to look forward to the, the glorious future we have with you. Thank you, Father. Find in us a faith that pleases you deeply. Thank you, Father, for making all of it possible through the sacrifice of your Son. In Christ's name, amen.